You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Archaeology and Ale podcast of 2016. For those of you new to our podcast, Archaeology and Ale is a free monthly talk held upstairs at the Red Deer Pub on Pitt Street in Sheffield. These talks are arranged by the Archaeology in the City Outreach Program from the University of Sheffield Archaeology Department. The Red Deer is a very popular pub, so there is always going to be some background noise in our recordings. In this episode, our guest speaker, Glyn Davies, shares his experiences digging at Sheffield Castle and what he hopes could be discovered in future excavations. To find out more about the Friends of Sheffield Castle and how you can get involved, do visit their website at friendsofsheffieldcastle.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Hi, uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. As, uh, as I was introduced, my name is Glyn Davis. The reason I'm giving this talk is because Friends of Sheffield Castle were contacted about doing a presentation here, <coughs> and I am associated with them in a way or two, and I've done various talks from in the past. But the other reason is uh, my great claim to fame is I'm the only living archaeologist to have dug Sheffield Castle. All the others are dead. Uh, <laughs> A long time, most of them. What I'm briefly going to talk about and try and zip through fairly quickly today is what we know of the actual archaeology of the castle. I will give a bit of a historical background at the start, but mostly I'm going to be talking about the previous exca excavations on the castle and what they've told us about what excavation is and something on the layout of the castle. And from that, I will then suggest a few questions about what could be investigated on the castle when the potential for investigations take place. The reason the castle's so much uh, in Sheffield at the moment, of course, is because the markets have moved. And the old markets building, uh, and that stood on the side of the castle. So, uh, next slide, please. Uh, it's a bit fuzzy, the photo, I'm not quite sure why. Sheffield <coughs> uh, Castle sits on the corner of Sheffield between the rivers Don and Sheaf. And as you can see in 1736, it had already gone, but you can see where the castle was. And even in 1771, Castle Hill. The reason the castle is the confluence of the two rivers, but also there is actually a slight natural hill there. And the area to the north overlooking the Don is historically referred to as the precipice. Uh, and it's sitting on top of that that the castle was located. OK, uh, next, please. A brief, very simplified history of Sheffield Castle. Uh, Sheffield in the Anglo-Saxon period, uh, late Anglo-Saxon, was part of the lands of Waltheof, and there have been suggestions over the years there could be an Anglo-Saxon hall underneath the site of the Norman Castle. My opinion is that's rubbish. The opinion of most people, actually, is that's rubbish. Uh, but the first castle is built in the early Norman period, probably by William de Lovetot, 
but we don't actually have any documentary evidence to prove that. There is a vague possibility it could be earlier from Roger Debussy, but it's probably William de, de Lovetort. The first reference is not till 1184, even though the castle's probably been there about 50 years by then, or longer. The first castle was probably wood. I don't actually know that. It's probably a modern But uh, what we do know is during um, the uh, Simon de Montfort's rebellion in 1966, the castle, as well as the large chunk of Sheffield, was burnt to the ground. It's one of the reasons why Sheffield Cathedral, as it is now, and was Sheffield Parish Church, most of that, uh, the earliest stuff there, dates to the late 13th century. And the main castle, the pe what people think of as Sheffield Castle, the great stone castle, dates from 1270, when Thomas de Furnival, who'd acquired the castle by that stage, rebuilds in stone. Uh, the castle then carries on through and is uh, finally lost in the Civil War when it's uh, fought over on at least three occasions, sieged, battered, uh, taken, for, well, it's first held by royal, royalists, then by parliament, then by the royalists, then by parliament, and then they demolish it following an uh, act of parliament. Uh, very keen on demolishing it, mainly because they got most of the stone <coughs> and all the fine finery from the castle disappeared into the houses of Sheffield at the time. And there are occasional references you'll find uh, relating to buildings in Sheffield that it may contain some elements of the castle. It's very difficult to prove if any of that is true, but it's possible. Uh, next slide, please. What is, one thing that is slightly annoying about uh, trying to study Sheffield Castle, there are no plans, uh, drawings, just accurate descriptions of the castle during its existence. That is the most detailed description we have of Sheffield Castle as it's existed. The full description. That's it. The most interesting thing about it, that is it refers <coughs> to two courtyards, an inner and an outer. But uh, where those are is somewhat debatable, but we think we can probably uh, identify that from a historic map. The other thing is there, there are various buildings des described, granaries, barns, stables, lodgings, and things like that. And one other uh, document that gives a bit of a description is the siege of Sheffield Castle. During the siege, there are various descriptions of the location of and breastworks and palisades. But what's interesting, one, some of that description does refer to uh, defensive works placed in front of the castle entrance, outside the castle, palisades and earthwork features. So we sort of view of a snapshot of it at that time. So those are probably the two most... There are other documents that refer to the castle, obviously, but those are the two that sort of give you a clue in general terms as the appearance and layout. don't know quite why it's so fuzzy, the photos. I suspect it's... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, next, please. ...of the castle. And for many years it's been assumed that's the inner and that's the outer. This is uh, the town plan of 1736. Oh. That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's the, probably the outer courtyard, and there's 
the inner courtyard. That's how it's long been thought. Archaeological evidence has been found for the castle on this site. <coughs> Nobody's definitely ever found anything on for the outer courtyard ever. Trenches have been dug. I've dug some across it where it should be. Didn't find anything. Uh, but one of the things to remember is it's actually, if all of that was the castle, it's a very big area. It's about four football pitches. So you're talking a fairly substantial thing. But the possibility is, one of the possibilities I've always considered is the inner courtyard may have been rebuilt in stone, but the outer courtyard may never have rebuilt, but remained part of the, the castle property. So it's possible this outer courtyard in its later periods was never defended. It was just the land owned by the castle. And it's here that, of course, the Sheffield markets were first established and stayed for the next 800 years. Maybe that this outer courtyard is more to do land owned by the lord of the castle and exploited by him for the uh, development of the town. Uh, please. Okay, just coming on to what bits of excavation and archaeology have been done over the years. There have been three main periods of excavation. The first was in the 1920s by Armstrong, Leslie Armstrong. He undertook the work. Uh, when the main the old markets buildings were being built so you could say that was an early rescue excavation done in archaeological terms butcher in the 1950s he was a, an amateur working called council he was a surveyor for the council, i believe he did further work when parts of well what had been the old co-op which bombed and uh, in the war in the blitz uh, was demolished and the markets were extended over the site of the former co-op. So Armstrong and Butcher were sort of rescue excavations in a way. Uh, and then the re most recent was in 1999 and 2002, which was the stuff undertaken by Arcus as part of the university's work there. And that was undertaken because that was the first time in recent time uh, when they were planning to move the markets. That's when the move of the markets started being planned for the one that happened about two year, a year or two ago. And so we undertook uh, small trial trenches at that time to investigate areas that hadn't been recorded or investigated by Armstrong or Butcher. Next, please. This is a plan of Armstrong's excavations and the results he produced. This is published by the Hunter Society uh, in the Hunter Society Journal. And one of the reasons the society partially funded the work. And... Uh, they also paid, there was, there is a small section of the mark, uh, the castle remains up here that are still in existence and were on display until the market was closed. Uh, that little sat in was actually paid for by the Hunter Society uh, as part of its. The one thing to remember about uh, Armstrong's he didn't. What he did would be these days referred to as a watching brief. The reason we know this is he had a colleague who worked with him, uh, J.B. Himsworth. And his diary actually tells you what days Armstrong was on site. And there were large periods when the works were going on that Armstrong wasn't even on site. And so this plan isn't a plan of all the archaeology that was present at the time. It's a plan of the archaeology that was present on the days that Armstrong was on site. So it's an incomplete plan, most definitely incomplete. We know that. But the th there were three main areas he worked on, the gateway, the courtyard, and the buildings inside the courtyard. Next, please. These are some of the photos of the 
moat, uh, the gateway and moat. What's interesting here is the sheer stonework running there. What appears, when the castle was rebuilt in stone, it appears that in fact the inner surface of the moat was lined with stone almost to the bottom of the moat. So when he did the excavations then, he found sections of stonework 40 foot high still standing, running from the up to the sides of the castle. So very substantial pieces of stonework still surviving in the site at that stage. Next, please. The gateway, there's the entrance and a semicircular tower and another one next to it and a pier in the, in the middle of the moat, which we, he thought was for the garbage and almost certainly was. As you can see from this drawing, it's not a particularly accurate, it, it's probably accurate in the sense that he's got total measurements like, but he's not drawn accurately every stone or thing. It's more schematic than that. And this again comes back to this thing. If he wasn't there permanently, he was doing what the best he could with a limited time available and limited ability to get on site. But he did location and that it had a drawbridge. Next, please. And here are some of the photos produced and taken at the time. These photos are actually by Himsworth. That's when Armstrong did. And you can see there's the gate house, the round tower next to it, and uh, how it had steps going down into the moat and the moat heading down further. Next, please. The other thing that were, uh, that's relevant about Armstrong's excavations is he didn't actually have any labourers of his own. He had to borrow the labourers that were doing the building works. So there were no trained staff on site when the work was done. And he'd say, dig out that bit, sort of thing. Observe what they're doing. And so though he marked where the drawbridge pier is, and that's the drawbridge pier, you never saw a little corner of it. He never saw the whole thing. So he did pretty well considering the limited access and the other thing he did do was find a lot of finds. Next, please. And amongst the finds he found was like wooden cards, crucifixes, spears, uh, belt buckles, various uh, buttons and things, and uh, six gold. Play of the castle as part of the cup, and when that got bombed, it got lost. Whether they really got lost or they just got time we don't know but they're certainly lost now and so he found uh, a range of artifacts many of these are still in the museum but there's the number of artifacts from his excavation is actually quite low or well, his work is quite low probably because he wasn't there often enough to actually stuff you know he was relying on the workmen digging the foundations to put it aside for him and him to pick it up a few days things he did find it was uh, this little building inside uh, the court. Uh, he thought this was on the foundations of the Saxon Hall. It, it Saxon building and the pottery is actually Norman. And that was actually identified back in the 1950s, but you'll still see references to the Saxon Hall under Sheffield Castle, despite the fact the pottery isn't Saxon. A bit that was preserved under the floor of the these bits are the original the rest of the stuff here is just bits of stonework that were found during the that is in situ structure this 
It's just nice bits of stone they thought they'd keep. The most interesting, I think, are probably these, despite the window trace and things, because these are limestone, the rest of it's all sandstone. And there is a documentary reference to uh, building a new tower. And when the new tower was built, they brought stone from Roshabi Gorge, <coughs> which is in the, the magnesium limestone. So that's almost certainly the stone that's come from Roshabi. And they bought 48 cartloads worth of it to Sheffield. So that gives you a clue of the sort of scale of works that were going on. Next, please. This is where the precipices, precipice overlooks the river. This is one of the areas that Armstrong makes no reference to in his report, in his publication. This is from Himsworth's diary, and it shows a section right across it with various bits of stonework and features sticking out to the side of the precipice that Armstrong didn't see, therefore he didn't report on, even though Himsworth gave him all the data and all the records. So we Know why that why he ignored him with data but he did but we do know at that time there were bits of archaeology sticking out from the precipice the precipice is where if you know where the market is you know the, the, the big sort of concrete wall uh, that get, runs along neck between the river and the markets behind that is castle deposits meters deep next please the next piece of work said was uh, butcher in the 1950s he was also working with labourers and doing what would be best described as a watching brief rather than an excavation. But uh, because they were digging out more of the material and rubbish that had been left after the bombing of the co-op during the war, much larger areas were exposed. And he was able to get a much bigger picture and better picture of the layout of the gatehouse and the entrances. So you can see there's again the gatehouse, the round towers. Uh, <coughs> two fine young men working for Sheffield Council on their labouring duties and going down below them are the moat deposits and there are odd bits in there that are interesting that we'll come to. Next please. Uh, as well as getting a chance to re-look at a lot of these features, one thing Butcher did was actually do very good records. His records are much better than Armstrong's, despite the fact Armstrong was the archaeologist and Butcher was not. But he did stone by stone drawings of various features of part of the gatehouse. And one of the most interesting were all these wooden stakes. And they're actually all in the moat fill. So there's actually a palisade in the moat, which fits with the Civil War description of building palisade defences around the entrance to the gateway. So those stakes are probably, no, we can't prove it because they're no longer in existence, uh, but there may be further ones there. Those stakes are probably part of the Civil War defences and relate to. Uh, the defence, uh, the uh, siege of the castle. Next, please. Uh, one thing Butcher did do was look very detailed at the moat. He, when they rebuilt the markets in the 19, and extended the market in the 1950s, they put in big modern tile <coughs> foundations, but they didn't drill them in or hammer them in. They actually dug them out by hand, and then poured concrete into them. Uh, and there are certain references that are slightly disconcerting because they make reference to things like we went down and the stone got so hard and difficult to get into, i.e. the castle, we just poured the concrete off it across. In, built within the foundations of the building that's just been demolished are probably bits of castle stonework entirely encased in concrete, which would be an interesting exercise in the excavation for anyone who has to do that. But... One thing he did do was record the moat fills very 
quite in great detail. You can see the different tipping layers coming across that. Next, please. And he drew sections and plans of them all in great detail, marking where all the finds were, which were brick, which were pot, and all things like that, and produced a very good sequence of pottery from the moat fills. Next, please. And from that, he actually managed to produce a, a, a model of the moat, a plan. The excavated bits are all the little squares, but then he managed to extrapolate that to produce the full sort of plan of the western side of the castle. <clears throat> and the drawbridge pier, which he got the full thing. But another thing he did record going around like this. Again, that may be another part of these Civil War defences. Uh, it doesn't sort of necessarily... It, it's an odd thing to have a ditch feeding moat at that point in the gateway of a, around the entrance of a castle if it was a medieval ditch. It's not impossible. But... ...description of earthworks and palisades being built around the entrance of the castle during the, the Civil War. Next, please. The other thing he did was produce sort of uh, three-dimensional isometric drawings of work. The tragedy is he never... There's an archive in Sheffield Museum of all his work, including the first three chapters of what was going to be report, but sadly he didn't live long enough to finish it off. So that much larger assemblage of pottery through the moat and which are very use could be uh, very could be very useful if fully analyzed for dating the deposits in the moat and how it filled in and how it worked next Uh, wall, uh, that face, until the 1970s when the, co the big concrete wall was built. That was when it was last seen. So uh, these bits of stonework are probably still there and I'm pretty certain some of them are because I've seen some of them by digging it. Next please. So this is sort of summary of state of play when uh, we knew we knew the house. The other parts of the castle we knew nothing about. And so that's where in three trenches. One to look at the motor that side, and two to look in, uh, in to look at the internal structure of bit, what internal remains existed of the castle. Upper loading bay of the old markets. I was at times. So, next, next, please. So the first trench we took was looking for the moat. As you can see, there is a moat. <coughs> steep side. The 50, 16th century, and we got down to 12th century at the bottom, but we couldn't get. 
close down a road. It was, so we did get them out, and what was interesting uh, was there was absolutely no evidence of the wall on that side of the castle. Our trench extended about five metres beyond the edge of the moat, in towards the castle, but we, had, but we didn't find any wall. Out here, which is where we put our shoring beam, where the moat came up, stepped, and then came up again. And it may be that that step did relate to where the original wall was located. Next, please. Uh, collapsing, filling in ditch, coming down the side, and as I say, you're about 12th century there, and you're about 16th century there. So that suggests that, as with on the south side where Butcher did his work, there's a good sequence of deposits through the moat. Next, please. Which appeared to be dating to pretty soon after the castle was demolished, based on the uh, finds associated with it. So almost as soon as the castle demolished, they throw, uh, fill in the moat and start building across it. It's, it's gone very quickly when they get rid of it. And this is a part wall of a small building that was built across the moat and filling it up. Next please. So that was the moat down here. The next two trenches a couple of years later are say on the upper loading bay. Go, uh, next please. The first trench, trench was right next to where the stone castle remains Press people the Lord Mayor of Sheffield, whose wife's ancestor was involved in the siege of Sheffield in some way. I can't remember exactly how, but it was there. And we had the Lord Lieutenant of uh, Yorkshire, uh, the Earl of Scarborough, came to visit because he was friends with the Lord Mayor of Sheffield and cracked the best joke ever I've ever heard. Anyway, he said, uh, What was it like? Was it anything like. Uh, this, uh, what sort of castle was it like? And I said, well, I don't know, it's some sort of big castle-like thing. Was it anything like uh, Lumley Castle? I said, I, I don't know, I don't know Lumley Castle. He said, that's mine, that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, first uh, trench was on the, uh, was next to where we knew there was a big building just under the floor here. So, next, please. And what we found was, wall coming across here there's actually an entrance through it here uh, the wall wasn't very stable obviously built see from here uh, a bastion out uh, front of well bastion, a um, support it tradition because there was this clear gap between it next please and so what we had in plan was the wall the supporting uh, well done, Hannah. The doorway down into a cellar. And, uh, part of the courtyard surface. Next, please. There's the steps going up. The main steps have been robbed out, sadly. 
but you can see how the step where the steps would have been from where the uh, the sort of ghost of the staircase in the rubble. But one thing that is quite interesting is that uh, that's the threshold of the door. That's the courtyard level. There's actually another courtyard level there. So there's probably at least three courtyard surfaces surviving inside the castle of different styles and types. As you can see, it's quite uh, well made, the door. You know, it's a nice sort of uh, shaped stone jam. And there's even bits of uh, plaster still sticking to some of these surfaces on the wall. Please. And there's the uppermost courtyard surface. Push the courtyard surfaces and go down to sort of <coughs> excavate them in layers. It was a uh, trial trench, an evaluation. We were trying to determine if there was castle remains there, not to actually remove them. So we identified there was a courtyard surface and there were earlier ones, but we didn't actually investigate those in full. Next, please. The second trench, which is the further across and almost on the edge of the top of the overlooking the river. Again, huge lumps of stonework were discovered in here and uh, various people working and Dinah uh, effectively county archaeologist for South Yorkshire doing one of her occasional site visits to monitor what we're doing, make sure we're behaving. And uh, next, please. The interest, oh uh, yeah, so in this trench we had this mass of stone here, a stone wall and some pits. This gap in the middle here is actually a modern hole that's been dug through the foundation for the castle. So that all one lump of foundation. And five meters long and about three meters wide. And these are very large blocks. Some of the next please, some of the blocks are about uh well you can see the size of the uh, stones used in this foundation. That's a meter. So these are sort of these blocks are enormous. Why you'd say I don't know, uh, but if we opportunity was presented to actually excavate more, we might well find out. <laughs> Almost certainly. But uh, and here, on the top of these foundations, you can see three big slabs. That's almost certainly a surface of a building, an internal building to the castle. Next, please. And I said there were these little pits here, inside. Uh, next to it, uh, they produced some quite early pottery. It's not impossible that they relate to the wooden castle that predated, predated the stone castle. Some of those pits. Being wooden, a little dry stone wall. Uh, stone roof tiles just happen to land and survive there. Hole through it, you can see there. So there's a suggestion, because we know there's one building, we now know there's two, there's three. There's possibly a, a number of buildings potentially still survive within the courtyard of the castle. Next, please. This is one of the many reconstructions that have been done over the years of the castle. There are various bits with this that I would disagree with, which we won't go into in detail. The moat wasn't fed from the River Don. The gate was about right. This reconstruction, that, that's because of this two courtyard issue. But if you actually look at the, the, the actual description of the two courtyards, it suggests a much bigger thing. So I think that's probably one courtyard and the other one was out.
somewhere. Big tower there, quite possibly, because we do know that there's a big structure there. We know there's a big structure there. of the castle but it's probably giving a pretty good idea of the scale and size of the castle that sat down there next please so this is a sort of composite map which some colleagues of mine mainly produced over a few, a few years ago overlaid on the first uh, map of Sheffield Gosling in 1736 and what it information next please the piece of information it brings together are archaeological, cartographic and documentary evidence. And what we've tried what was identify definite known features. Features that we're pretty sure were there. Archaeologically, we know where the moat is. We know where the gatehouse is. We know there's a bit of walling there. We know there's some walling there. We know there's a... There. Possible lines of outer walls from if you maps uh, filling it in. The property boundaries tell you there's actually an edge of property up there. Buttresses on the southern wall to uh, the presence of a circular tower overlooking on the east side. Also to these. Uh, The Don didn't feed the moat. It can't have done, it's quite simply because the top, uh, higher wa highest water level of the Don is below the base of the moat. So the moat can't be fed by the Don unless the Don has dropped several metres over intervening period, which I doubt. And there are references to sluice gates between and the River Don to control the water. You don't need sluice gates if the water's uh, coming in from the Don. It's more likely that the water is coming from the but or was a weir on the River Sheaf somewhere around here. Certainly from the 15th century and it could be earlier. So it could be that that's actually quite an early weir from the Sheaf in No, there's uh, the possible civil war defence features around here. Um, and we know there's all these courtyard surface layers. So we know there's quite... We, despite the fact we haven't actually got an accurate description, haven't actually got any drawings or plans of the... From all these various different... put a reasonable guesstimate of a plan together... In the works that have been done over the years, people have identified points across the site. And those physical remains are mostly to do with the second stone, earlier, some earlier material relating to the wooden castle. So coming back to uh, what I started on saying, briefly go through what we know about the castle, but also what questions relating to the history and archaeology of the castle do we have the potential to investigate when 
the excavations take place, that we hope will take place, now that the council have moved, demolished and moved the market and are looking to investigate the site, doing a major, probably community-based archaeological dig, which will probably take a year or two to run if they get the money together. One of the most basic points, origins, who built it and when? Have a reference to tell us who built it or when they built it. So actually some archaeological evidence as to what, when it was built might give us a clue to who built it. What castle? Everybody assumes it's a Motton Bailey. We have no idea. We have no evidence. Just assumed. It probably is, but we don't actually know that. And maybe getting some remains of that wooden castle, possibly some of the uh, palisade lines or things like that, uh, or foundations for where structures were, might be able to tell us something about the layout of the first castle, for which we have very little evidence at all. Simon Castle in 1266. We, uh, when Armstrong did his excavation, he, he found a building on the site that was burnt down, which lies underneath the surviving remains uh, on the northwest, northeast corner. He thought it was actually a Saxon hall. It's not a Saxon hall. Uh, not unless the Saxons developed an architectural style that didn't come into the late Norman period. But that would suggest, if that is uh, a Norman building that's been burnt down, that could well be part of the evidence of the castle that was burnt down by Simon de Montfort. And there's possibly other remains that may tell us something about what the battle was like. Next, what was the layout of the second castle? A guess of what no courtyard. We know investigate that because there's still many buildings sitting on that. But even though we have a reasonable excavation, we know there are certain buildings. We have a description saying there's a chapel, there's lodgings, there's an armory. Which we've no idea of that. So that could only be investigated. They were building new towers until at least the 14th century. We don't, you know, the plan of the castle will have changed over time. It would be nice to be able to look at how some from documentary, but not a huge amount. And we know they had breweries, we know they had butteries, we know they had kitchens, we know they had a chapel. What we don't know how people living there. We do have some good clues in terms of what uh, furnishings were in the castle because there's descriptions of what was sold off when the castle was demolished, but also there's a very good description, uh, well not different, very good list. It's not probably wholly accurate for when Mary Queen of Scots was in turn uh, held prisoner at the castle. We have a list of all her possessions, but also possessions held by the castle. She was suffering terribly. She only had four Turkish carpets and, you know, <laughs> for somebody who's in prison, she's got a very long list of possessions. Uh, but hers are minor compared to what's the possessions of the castle. Turkish carpets, cushions, furniture, lots of stuff. It doesn't tell you where each bit was used, but it gives us a pretty good idea of what life would have been in the, uh, what the level of luxury had. Uh, I suppose the siege of Sheffield Castle there are hints that some of those features around the entrance may be 
part of the Civil War defences, the extra defences, the palisades <coughs> and earthen banks that were thrown up around the entrance to try and protect the castle when it was uh, in royalist hands. But uh, it would be fascinating to investigate those further and see how they adapted what was a medieval building into a defensive building during an era when, you know, cannon was the main weapon. And it was the bringing down Cannon appeared about three or four shots later, they surrendered. <laughs> Those are some of the questions. Uh, but gives you a clue of evidence for all of those things. We know there are hints of evidence for all of those sort of questions could be available to us in investigating the castle and excavating it further. So it'd be very nice to actually think of a few more questions, obviously, but also just to think in advance before we start thinking what questions we want to ask of the data that will hopefully become available when the excavation takes place. Next. And I always have to thank South Yorkshire Archaeology Service, Sheffield City Museum, Sheffield City Council, and Sheffield Markets for stealing lots of their photographs. <laughs> <laughs>